Welcome to the Rebel Babe Cave, where we chat with amazing women within the worlds of sports, fitness, wellness, and business who aren't afraid to keep it real. Every week, we talk careers, relationships, and most importantly, the practice of self-care. Uncensored and unapologetic, you'll walk away from every episode with real-life takeaways and advice. No BS or fluff. I'm your host, Crystal Rose, and I'm so glad you're here. Hey guys, welcome back to the Rebel Babe Cave. I hope you're having an amazing week this week. I just want to dive right in for a moment and talk about self-development. You know, it's such a hot topic right now. Everyone's out there telling you how to do it. It's almost like the new fitness, you know, mental and emotional fitness, which it's great, but it can also lead to overload and overwhelm. I realized recently that I need to take a personal development hiatus because for the last few months, especially when, since, you know, I went to go see Tony Robbins, I have been working on myself and working on myself and working on myself and working on myself. And it's gotten to the point where, you know, I can barely allow myself to have a thought without immediately just tackling it and then trying to work on it. I think sometimes the mental work can become kind of redundant and you can easily turn your head into a pretzel over analyzing every single thought. So I am personally taking some time to stop consuming that kind of content. You know, I'm unfollowing some people just for the time being. I'm really limiting the business development stuff too. You know, don't get me wrong. I'm always going to be working on myself. I just think it's one of those things that can kind of hum in the background for the moment. I just need to take a step back. You know, I think it's time for me to step out of the learning and the consuming season. I really believe that there are seasons for everything in your life. And this just happens to be my season to focus on applying some of the things I've learned, but also, you know, just to have fun and let go. I seriously haven't even made fun a priority in forever And it's kind of sad, but I almost forget what it means to have it sometimes. And what are we even doing if we're not having fun? You know, that's one of my words of the year is joy. And I plan on pursuing it. So I think this is a great time to kind of take a break and a step back from all that heavy, heavy personal development and launch into some fun. (laughs) I love it. If you guys have any ideas, just some fun tips, um, things to do to have fun you know, besides the usual, go ahead and slide up into my DMs on Instagram at xtalrose, X-T-A-L-R-O-S-E. Tell me what you guys like to do for fun. So before I introduce our guest, let's talk about one of my very favorite companies, Sershi. Sershi is a subscription box. It only comes four times a year, or you can go ahead and just get one box at a time. So there's none of that like monthly clutter, like regular boxes. And it's filled with amazing little gifts made all from women business owners. And it supports an important cause. Like how great is it? You guys like knowing that when you buy one little box, it explodes into like this web of helping all kinds of people. So if you haven't gotten the winter box yet, go get it. 
you only have a couple weeks left because you know the season's going to change and you may just find a little something something from my store rebellia in that winter box the code rebellia20 is going to take 20% off your purchase at surshe.com that's s u r s h e.com also, you guys, the box makes an incredible little thing. If you're going to like a party or a gathering or something, and you just want to bring a little hostess gift, there are so many things in that box that you can do that with. So it's such a great little idea, whether you gift the entire thing, keep everything, or just use it as like a little gifting box too. So I just wanted to point that out. <laughs> so our guest today, you guys, she is so great. I met her in this Facebook group where I was looking to be a guest on someone else's podcast in exchange for them being a guest here on the Rebel Babe Cave. So Tanya popped up and I'm just so glad she did. She has incredible energy, you guys, and a super really great story. I think you guys are going to love this one. Tanya is a marketing professional, podcaster, and online health and fitness coach. She focuses on helping busy corporate girls reach their fitness goals and find purpose and legacy outside of their nine to five jobs. Passionate about seeing women reach their potential, Tanya shares her love of business, fitness, and faith in relatable ways. Tanya, welcome to the Rebel Babe Cave. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited and I'm just so like pumped to be on here. I really admire you and everything that you've built and the podcast. I'm just super excited to be here. So thank you for having me. Yay. Thank you. I'm pumped to have you. It's funny because when we were messaging, I was like, I just love her voice. (laughs) (laughs) I was like, her voice just sounds so like peppy and up. And I was like, my listeners are going to love this. Yay. (laughs) So we like to start off with goals, gratitude, and badassery. I don't know if you're familiar, but... I want you to give me something or multiple things. I mean, we are at the beginning of the year. So your goals, something you're grateful for, and then something you're proud of yourself for or something you did that was badass. Okay. So goals for 2020 is really to just be living at my utmost potential in every aspect of life and showing up fearlessly purposeful. I think it's really easy for me to show up and be present, but to be fearlessly present is hard. I'm an Enneagram 8, so I don't know if you guys do the Enneagram, but it's like this personality test and Enneagram 8s tend to be big and intimidating already. Sometimes (laughs) it's hard for me to show up fully because I have fear of dominating a conversation or outshining somebody. So showing up fully present is a big deal. And then launching businesses that I've been wanting to launch for a long time and getting out of my own way and, you know, not making excuses that, oh, well, you know, you can do it next year or, you know, that little voice inside your head that says, you really can't do that. Like that's too big, you know, and ignoring that voice and be like, no, heck yeah. Like big is exactly where you need to be. In terms of gratitude, I am the most grateful person when it comes to my health. My mom has chronic rheumatoid arthritis and she's been sick for probably the last five years. And it's really hard for her to walk and, you know, getting to the bathroom is a chore for her. And every single day that I talk to her, it's like, how you doing? And there's some new ailment or new something that's just, it's sad, you know? So for me, my health is like every day, I'm so grateful. Like, my joints, I can squeeze my hands, my feet, like the things that we never really think about. I'm always just conscious of it. So really grateful for that. And then um, the thing that I am most, my badass move, is that the question? Or like something you did that you're proud of or something you've done recently that you think is pretty badass? 
Okay. So it's something that is a badass move, right? Mm-hmm. So the most badass move I have is it doesn't sound that badass because I think when we think of like badass moves, we think of like really big, exciting changes in our life. And for me, I've noticed that being able to make small micro changes in my life consistently over a long period of time is what really makes those big macro changes in my life. So the most recent badass thing I did was make my bed every single morning last year. (laughs) Just changes the dynamic of your day to be like, woohoo, you come home and like your bed is made and it's just directory of your day when you're leaving and when you come home. That's so funny. I've uh, that's something I preach all the time. The whole like little baby steps create the big steps because I think women, especially we see like where we want to be and where we are. And it's like this giant leap. And so we'll try to take on 75 different things to become that person yeah. and then get burnt out and then be like, I'm even further away than where I started. Yeah. So I love that you said that. And also, why is it so hard for us to give ourselves credit for something? It's so funny. It's so funny to watch women just struggle on that question. Like, oh, it is. And like, yeah, that's also something I'm working on too. Is like, yeah, just embracing all the cool shit that you know you do or I do on a daily basis. I'm like, sometimes I'm like, heck yeah, like I fucking did that. That was awesome. Like, good job, Tanya. Yeah, yeah, that's something. I'm um, I'm actually hosting a celebrate date in my city. And literally it's like, look, show up, get yourself a glass of champagne. We're all going to stand in a damn circle at the count of three, just blurt out what you're celebrating. I don't give a shit if it's on Instagram or like, you know, or you made a million dollars. I don't care what it is. And then we're going to scream and cheer like psychopaths because (laughs) when you feel it, you know, when you're actually allowing yourself to celebrate even just the little things, it becomes almost like a habit habit of being happy and celebrating and then having things to celebrate. And then you'll create more abundance in your life. So that's kind of like, I need that for myself. So gosh, (laughs) I love that idea. And I don't know what it is, but it's so hard for us to celebrate ourselves and sometimes celebrate each other. I love one of those Instagram quotes that says like, just because she shines bright doesn't mean that it outshines you. There's like plenty of light to be shown upon everybody. So you're always just so worried like about what other people are going to think. If you give yourself credit for something like, Um, oh, people are going to think I'm bragging or they're going to feel badly about themselves because maybe they haven't accomplished these things. And it's like this whirlwind of head fuckery that is just sad and pointless, you know, and we should just be like, hey, you know, maybe I don't have those big giant things to be proud of myself for yet, but I still have things. And And it's so funny how we do that as women. And like, I feel like we're taught that from a young age. And then men, it's like completely different. Like men men will apply to a job that they're not qualified for and be like, "Eh, whatever. And women will be like, oh, like, I still don't know if I'm there yet. And they're like overly qualified for a job and won't apply for it. It's so So crazy. It's our culture. I mean, we've really had some things ingrained in our brain and we're battling against a whole lot of, (laughs) a whole lot of conditioning and, and, you know, even just marketing and stuff that is really designed for us not not to, I guess, be big. So I'm loving women just being like fearlessly purposeful. (laughs) Love that. And like podcasting like this and social media, I think has done a really good job at uplifting women. If you're looking at the right channels and you're following the right people, like 
you and I getting to connect. I'm like, yes, like another woman who's like doing shit. Like, I love it. <laughs> I always, I love being able to meet chicks. I feel like doing this podcast, it was one of those things where I'm like, I wanted to do it. I have the heart to do it. And I wanted to do it right. And then also like, you know, I was like, there's so many cool women out there that I think other women want to meet. And then like, selfishly, I'm like, shit, I want to meet them, you know, yeah. <laughs> like, let's make all the friends. So I love it. And there's, there's so many, like you said, platforms and ways to for us to kind of rise up and do that and meet each other. It's awesome. So you have a podcast. I do. Um, let's talk about that real fast because I know sure. I'm going to be on it. So we don't want to talk about it too much, but yeah. just tell me a little bit about that. So I think it's very different. Yeah. So I have a podcast. It's called Faith and Other F Words. I found myself over the course of my lifetime really resonating with my faith and having a relationship with God, but not necessarily wanting to affiliate with any particular religion and not fitting the stereotype of being a Christian woman. I drop an F-bomb like it's nobody's business. Um, I've had sex before marriage. I actually enjoy going to church. I believe in being pro-life and pro-choice. And I think it's America, own a gun, like all of these things that may not fit into a box. I am. And so I wanted to have a platform to have discussions where people could be open about what their faith is like and just have questions to be like, Oh, so you go to church and you're having sex, big freaking deal. Like be you, you know, do you and have a platform that was just open to having conversations about politics and religion and science and all of these things without having it have a religious label, but just to have an open dialogue about it. I feel like that is such a bold, like such a bold move, you know, I mean, because you it's polarizing. It's really like, Oh, like it, oh. <laughs> like stressing yeah. me out just thinking I, about how polarizing. Death threats for it, and you know, maybe one day I will. I feel like if you ever get a death threat, then you've made it at some point. Like, <laughs> if you don't have haters, then you're not successful. Yeah, it, it. I took a lot of time to say yes, and God was talking to me about it for a really long time, and I was just like, no, thank you, no, thank you, no, thank you, and I ignored it. And finally, I was like, okay, fine. If you're not going to have the courage to do this, then who will? And you're always having late night discussions with people at 2am about what they want to do with their life and what they think about religion and what they think about politics. Like, why not have this conversation at 6pm with a glass of wine and a friend and just <laughs> talk about things that people want to talk about? I love that. Yeah. I lo- and I love that you're bold enough to do that. Thanks. <laughs> so you, part of your brand and in your bios, like you love helping women and you're all about the girl tribe, girl power. I feel like that's a trendy thing for a lot of people and not a lot of them stand by it. And I've been noticing that more and more where people say that they're this way and then their actions or then they step on some girl's head or, you know, try to stop another woman from making money and just things like that, which is super icky. So like, how do you kind of like live that lifestyle and have that be a part of your, not just your brand, but part of your life that, you know, are authentically. I think one of the, things that makes it a core value of mine that's not just said but actually lived is seeing other women be an extension of yourself. So a lot of the times we'll see something in a woman and we'll judge them 
Mm -hmm. Let me rephrase that. I've done this before where I see a characteristic in a woman and I will judge her for it. And it's because it's a negative trait of myself that I don't like. And I see it appear in somebody else. And then I'll just be like, oh, well, you know, she wore a skirt that was too long or too short. Like she shouldn't be showing her hoo-ha like that. And it's like, what do you care? Like... (laughs) Let her do whatever she wants. But somewhere along the way in my Catholic upbringing, I was taught that you should be modest and you should not show your goodies. You should be coy about it. And so when I would see another woman having that expression of sexuality in a confident way, it made me uncomfortable because it was something that I wasn't taught. But now I see a girl and she's wearing whatever she wants. She shows her midriff. She shows her, you know, whatever she wants. I'm like, good for you. You have the confidence and you made a decision to do that. And now I see myself in her shoes and going, well, if I was in her shoes and somebody saw me wearing something like that, I would want a girl to be like, oh my God, I love your outfit. Instead of being like, "Mm." you know, (laughs) making a face about it. So now when I see a girl who has an amazing outfit crossing me on the street, I'll be like, oh my God, I love your outfit. And so many times girls look at me like astonished and they're like, oh my God, are you hitting on me? Are you like lying to my face or are you genuinely just being nice? And I find myself in moments like that frequently with women who are taken aback by my friendliness and my genuine want to learn about them and to be friends and this kind of social media thing that we're talking about where we get to meet amazing women, but then bringing that into real life is a big deal. And then I'm on the leadership team of my corporate job. And so anytime I can advocate for women's rights or just bringing the perspective of being a female, we were, we're, I work for a startup and we didn't have a parental leave or a maternity leave policy. And somebody recently got pregnant at work and we were like, oh, we need to come up with a maternity paternity policy. And being a startup, it's hard to give maternity leave for three months when you have small amount of team, you know, when you have a limited amount of team members. And I'm really proud of the fact that I petitioned to say, you know, if I were a woman here and I got pregnant, I would want to be treated well so that I would want to come back. And I would want to work for a company that makes the transition from motherhood back into a career, an easy thing. And my loyalty would lie with a company that treated me well during maternity. And how can we build a structure and a culture that not just says that we are all about equal rights and you know, making it easy for women and then not have a maternity policy that supports that. And also for men, how do we make it so that we have a policy for men too, when their wives or their significant others have a baby, how do we make that transition easy for them as well? So we ended up coming up with a policy that has 100% pay for a mom um, for up to 12 weeks, which is so cool. And then for paternity leave, which I thought was really cool. So that's really cool to be a part of that. How can I always fight for my tribe of women, you know, and it sounds so cliche and so stupid, but I think once we start really living it and adhering to that, it just makes life so much nicer. And one of my marketing coordinators, she's actually still in college and she came up to me the other day and she's like, I just wanted to thank you so much for like helping me transition into the workforce and for not only supporting me and empowering me to make good decisions for my career, but also just as who I am as a person. And I was just like, oh my God, I'm going to just start crying. Like, I can't handle this. It's a Friday at work. I'm like trying to keep it together. I was like, that is the nicest thing anyone's ever said to me. I like, thank you so much. So I think life shows you when you're kind of on the right track and it'll also show you when you're not on the right track. Yeah. yeah. 
Well, I mean, you know, talking the talk is an easy thing, especially these days, you know, but walking the walk is another. So how did you get there? Because if you went from over here where you were like, you know, I was raised this way and I had this kind of reaction, how did you get from there to being like, yeah, girl, where would you want? Blah, 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 you know? Yeah. I think it, a lot of it comes to do with personal development. I've been doing personal development for the last five years. It's just 30 minutes at least every single day of either an audio book or a podcast or attending personal development seminars and just learning and absorbing as much knowledge as possible. Um, because I think, like I said before, is like your judgments and other people is a direct reflection of you and some of your insecurities or some of your misappropriations of the world. Yeah. Kind of like what you're lacking or what you find fault in yourself sometimes can be. It's like, yeah, yeah, it's a projection or you're living in scarcity. So when you see somebody else having it in abundance, it makes you uncomfortable. So I think a lot of self-reflection, honestly, and seeing that my insecurities were being projected onto other women instead of seeing their success or their positive attributes be a model or an inspiration for what is possible for me too. And I think that was the biggest game changer is being like, she's not your competition. She's your role model. She's your ally. She's a woman just like you who has the same type of fears, goals, aspirations, insecurities, experiences. And realizing that was like a, oh, well, in that case, like, <laughs> She's not your competition. She's the girl that you can reach out to and be like, hey, how did you get there? What are yeah. some tips you give me? Yeah, I used to be, I was so insecure. And I really like needed validation from friggin' any, well, it was mainly from men. Like any dude that yeah. would think I was pretty was great. And, you know, I'd see another woman and God forbid she'd be attractive. It was like, I instantly hated her. Like I instantly hated uh, her. Because it was like, she's either getting the attention and not me or why it, I don't look like that. I can't look like that. And it was like this, it was terrible, you know, but it was really like, I just felt icky all the time and it was my insecurity. And so like doing that work was, that was, <laughs> it took a long time to do that. But I definitely, I hated women. Like it was like hate first and then, oh, they're, they're kind of cool. And then you'd like them later, you know, and if, and if you manage to get past that layer, like I would, I'd be your, your biggest, Yeah, I'd fight someone for you, but it took, yeah. it took a little bit. And yep. now, you know, I just, I meet women and I always give them the, the benefit of the doubt. And if you're a bitch, well, you're a bitch and you suck, you know, but, <laughs> <laughs> but uh, I'm always nice now as a default. Whereas before I was like, kind of claws out. I think it's interesting too, is like along with that whole like bitch thing is like the intimidation factor. A lot of people tell me like, oh, when I first met you, you were really intimidating. And I was just like, I don't know what to do to like <laughs> make other people feel less intimidated by me because I try to be really friendly. Like if I join a new group, you attend a social event and you don't know a lot of people and you see somebody who's like quiet in the corner, I'll go out of my way to be like, Oh, I really love your jacket. Where did you get that from? And like, try to like break conversation and be as friendly as possible. But I also think that at the end of the day, you can't take responsibility for how somebody feels. Right. For that's a people. them thing. Like exactly. it's not a you thing. I mean, I get told that I'm intimidated. Like I, I had my, my makeup artist tell me that she's scared of me, <laughs> you know? And it's just like, that's not a me thing. And, and I think when you're confident and you know what you want and you're not afraid to go for it, I think that can be intimidating to other women who maybe don't have that yet. And so that's where that comes yeah. from um, and especially but, in the corporate world too it's like yeah i think for anybody listening who's maybe in a corporate job or 
working with strong women who you report to, my thing would just be that if you feel intimidated by another woman is going back to that example where it's like, don't look to them as competition or look like they're putting you down. But if anything, they're there to help pull you up. And if they're the type of woman who isn't pulling you up, well then, you know, maybe you can take the initiative yourself to try to help them see that they have a position of power and a responsibility to help the other women around them as well. But yeah, don't be intimidated by like strong, independent women. <laughs> Especially when they're We're nice. Friendly, we swear. <laughs> we need friends too. Yeah. <laughs> so you said in your gratitude that you're grateful for your health. And yeah. we had talked just yesterday and you brought up mercury poisoning. Yes. So, which I've only heard one other time before. I went to Tony Robbins in November. So jealous. Oh, it was, inc- it was incredible. <laughs> it was so good. But he had ended up with mercury poisoning. And then four months before that particular seminar, he just collapsed. Wow. His hemoglobin levels were like through the floor. It was terrible. And so he was like not even at 100%. And dude was still like, I mean, the first day was 12 hours. And he wasn't, he didn't do the second. Third day was like 15 hours. And bro was just like going. So that is the only bit of familiarity I have with that. So tell me, like, let's talk about that. What was that all about? Yeah. So essentially all of my life, I've had a little bit of like eczema. As a baby, there's like photos of me with eczema. As I grew older, the eczema patches started getting larger. And then right about my freshman year of college, my eczema on my face was horrendous and I ended up not making any of my morning classes. I was falling into a depression and I'm a really happy, bubbly person. So when I was my freshman year, first fall semester, I thought, you know, maybe I'm just having a difficult time transitioning into college. You know, I don't think I'm depressed. I think maybe I'm just like adjusting. And I thought it was an adjusting period, but I was sleeping 12 to 16 hours a day and not making it to any of my classes unless they were at nighttime. So I went to UCLA Medical and they diagnosed me with an undiagnosable autoimmune disease. They're like, your body is attacking itself. We don't know what's wrong with it. We'll put cortisone on your eczema and we'll give you a flu shot and we'll, we'll give you a pneumonia shot so you don't get sick your immune system's compromised and you basically just have to live with it for the rest of your life. You're always going to have this chronic fatigue. You're just going to have these large patches of eczema. Like I had insomnia, chronic fatigue, brain fog. I was really moody and like irritable. And I'm not like that at all. Like I'm super happy go lucky. What a depressing diagnosis. Just like I can't even, you know, like you, here's your answer, but it's no answers. Yeah, that was it. And it was really frustrating and it was really hard for me in terms of body image because I had a large piece of eczema on my right cheek that was like, it would get pimples and it would like ooze and it was itchy and it would, I would scratch my face in the middle of the night. So it would just get really bad. And like, you know, you're a freshman at college, you want to flirt with boys, you want to be cute, you know, you want to go to parties and like, you just felt like everyone's staring at your face and my body looked like I was like a burn victim because of all the different patches that I had from all the scratching. So I eventually ended up going on disability for my university so that I could miss class and not have it be docked for my academic classes. But about senior year, I found a doctor of osteopathy who finally was like, you don't have eczema. There's something wrong with your body. Ran a bunch of tests. I didn't 
an elimination diet, found out that I had an intolerance to wheat and gluten and that my entire digestive system was just destroyed as a result of the mercury toxicity that I had. My mercury levels were five times the normal amount. So I was like literally off the chart if I, I have a picture of it. <laughs> so like all the way to the end of the page, you can't get any more <laughs> mercury on this page because it's just maxed out. And the way that I got mercury poisoning was I have had dental work since I was a small child and I had amalgam fillings, which are silver mm-hmm. and they're filled with mercury. And what happens is as you wear and tear those fillings, they seep into your bloodstream and then they get absorbed into your organs. Not a medical doctor, but that's what I have read and interpreted is that it starts to seep into your bloodstream and then stored in your organs. And then in addition to that, I love sushi and I was eating spicy tuna like three times a week. And in college, it was like four times a week. So the accumulation of chronic consumption of mercury through eating and then the consumption of it through it seeping into my bloodstream after all of those years of having amalgam fillings, that is what caused those chronic levels of mercury. And then I had to have all of the amalgam fillings in my mouth taken out. I had to go through a process called chelation, which breaks down the mercury in your organs by secreting it in your sweat and urine. And you have to do IV treatments and get vitamins put in there and all kinds of, it's called a chelating agent, DMPS is what was put in me. And I had to do like 10 sessions of that. And as you're going through those 10 sessions, your body goes through a detox because it's kind of like mad hatter disease back in the day where you're literally detoxing from the mercury. So I would sleep for, you know, 20 hours after I'd have a detox session or a chelation session. And then eventually I just started feeling better. I got rid of eating wheat in my diet. I started on probiotics, superfoods, the whole shebang, and just started changing my entire system of eating and exercising. And it started to go away. And now I've been, gosh, almost 10 years. I think I'm hitting about eight and a half years now um, since I found that out and started clearing myself of it. And then that led me down a journey of getting into health and fitness myself. And then now I have my personal training certificate and I help other women get healthy through online accountability groups and just discovering how their body and their nutrition and their mind and all of these things play together. That is fucking wild. Yeah. That is insane. So like you, okay, so obviously you got this like non-diagnosis when you were like, what, a freshman and you didn't really find out what exactly it was until senior year. Yeah. Like, were you banging on doors to find out or did you kind of like like lay down and give up for a little bit or what? Yeah. So from my freshman year to my senior year, I would go and see more dermatologists and see if they could help me with anything. I tried every over-the-counter oatmeal calming lotion, whatever you could find. I did, there's a really famous dermatologist that has vitamins and topical things that you put together and like nothing worked. And I, I tried as many holistic options as possible and oils and, you know, everything under the sun that you could find or buy. And eventually I was like, okay, well, it's not going to work topical. There's maybe I'm allergic to something. And so that's kind of the route I took is like, maybe I'm allergic to something that's already in my body. Because if you have an autoimmune disease, it means your body's attacking itself. Right. So I was like, what could 
be in my body that's attacking itself. I don't have that many things here. And I was like, maybe there's something in my mouth <laughs> that is causing something. And that's kind of the route that it took me down is, well, maybe, maybe you're allergic to the filling that's in your mouth that, you know, the, the latex gloves or something. I had no idea that it was going to be amalgam fillings. I thought it was going to be, you know, the glue that they use to put something in your mouth or the latex gloves. I had no idea. Our bodies are amazing, man. Like how they just kind of set off alarm bells to be like something's very wrong, you know, and it's not, it's usually like where you're feeling pain isn't where the pain is generally. And that tends to go for like, you know, like working out when like maybe your lower back hurts when really it's because your glutes are super tight, you know, it's kind of like everything connected and a lot of the times we look at the spot with like the eczema and you're like seeing a dermatologist because of course you would. Why wouldn't you? You know, this is a thing on my skin. Fix it. Right. And we fail to realize that everything is connected, whether it be through our brain, through our gut, through our skin. Our skin is like our biggest organ, you know? So it's wild how we think something is one place and we don't think to look in another or like, you know, pick up that rock and find out what's going on under there. That's, I mean, that's incredible. I'm so glad that you figured it out and you're like healthy now, you know? Like, yeah. I think anybody who's struggling with a chronic illness or an undiagnosed anything, it's like, don't give up, keep trying. And eventually you'll come about a diagnosis and you'll figure it out. It's just like a mechanic, any doctor, any mechanic, any type of professional, there's going to be great doctors. There's going to be bad doctors. There's going to be great mechanics. There's going to be bad mechanics. Like there's always going to be somebody in a profession that is amazing at their job and isn't. And I think in the medical world, you just have to find doctors who are on your side and who understand your vision and your approach to your wellness and aren't being persuaded by pharmaceuticals or, you know, Western medicine, but they're really open to hearing the whole shebang about a holistic wellness approach. Which is important. I mean, you got to come from all angles. A lot of people that I've known with chronic illness, once they got a diagnosis, it was like, you know, I think on the outside looking in, you think a diagnosis is a bad thing. Whereas like when you've been struggling for so long with whether it be pain or, you know, illness or something, when you finally get that answer, it's like, now I can figure out how to take care of this. It's such a great feeling to have that is to be like, oh my gosh, I know what's wrong with me. (laughs) Right. I mean, I'm going to climb this mountain to fix it, but you know, at least I know which mountain to climb. (laughs) And I love that it kind of spawned your, your health and fitness journey. I think it's amazing when like, I hate that sometimes it's, you know, it takes something so dramatic and so horrible, like health wise for people to decide to take that step. But it's better than not taking that step. That's for sure. Yeah, totally. So I need to like look up this whole Enneagram thing because you were like the second person recently that has been talking about it. And I mean, I have it on my list actually to take tests, but I always feel like tests like that are bullshit because <laughs> I feel like everything applies to me, but then nothing applies to me or it only applies at certain times and then other times not so much. So I overthink the hell out of it and then I just don't take it. It's amazing. I'm obsessed with it. It's the best thing I've ever had. Like, I'm so, so obsessed with it. It's not like Myers Briggs, where like sometimes you're this, sometimes you're extroverted, sometimes you're introverted. It takes into account who you are in health and who you are when you're not at your best. Okay. So, if you've ever had a friend who like dated a girl and he turned into the worst person <laughs> ever, and then he gets a new girlfriend and he turns into like his best self ever. You're like, wait, it's the same person, but an environmental trigger or a life stage or a life season 
tweak that person to become like the worst person that they could ever be. And so the Enneagram takes into account who you become at your best and who you turn into under stress. So I'm an outgoing introvert, but that's like a weird thing for people to understand. Myers-Briggs has me as an extrovert. And I'm like, I fucking hate people sometimes. (laughs) I fucking hate people. So Myers-Briggs and all those other personalities tests are not as dynamic as Enneagram. And Enneagram just really takes into account all the different personality types. And it is based on your fears and your motivations. So you and I might both be really successful or high achievers, but the reason that we achieve is different. So I, as an Enneagram 8, have a fear of being controlled. And I'm motivated by taking power because I don't always trust that somebody else will take that power responsibly and use it for the the social good of a group. But if I'm in a group dynamic where I trust somebody else and I think that they'll do a really good job at leading, I have no problem following. That's like, I'm very similar to that. So that's that's interesting. I'll I'll have to see what I am because... I've been like curious about it for so long. And like I said, it's literally on my list, on my things to do list. Cause I'm like 2020. <laughs> it's We're going to so figure good. it all out this year. I brought it to my work. And so now we, we used it in a corporate setting. So now I can tell when my boss is like acting a certain way or when I'm mentoring somebody, I'm like, okay, well, they really like to talk about their feelings a lot. So if I come at them with data, they're going to hate me. I'm going to lose their trust. They're not going to want to have anything to do with me. But if I go to them and I'm like, Hey, I know that you are really passionate about this job. And I know that you really feel like you're doing amazing with your colleagues and that you're really contributing here. They're much more likely to be receptive to me. But if I go to like an Enneagram number three, who's all about achievement and I come to them with like data about how great they're doing at winning, they're going to listen to me. But if I talk to them solely about like their feelings, they're going to be like, bye. Like I just, I'm not, I'm not here for it. Yeah, that doesn't work for me. That is so interesting. I'm so interested in like those kind of tests and then like the whole love language thing and, you know, just like things like that and how people are so different and like what motivates one person may not motivate another. I mean, I think it's funny how as adults, like people start caring about that in the corporate world, but they don't really think about that in school because like you're still, kids are still who they are and motivated by different things, but it's like still the same, you know. Can you imagine a world where we're like, we learned about these things in school? It's like, like how did it you like first grade. <laughs> yeah, what a concept. Like first graders, like, what's your love language? <laughs> <laughs> I feel like I could talk to you forever, but <laughs> we like to close on a quote. So is there like a quote that you've been feeling lately or that's something that you're kind of like live by or yeah one of my favorite quotes is enjoy this moment this moment is your life I love that. yeah I feel like a lot of the times we're in a, any moment of life and we're like Ugh. but then if you think back on all of the moments of your life you need contrast in order to live like if every single day you just woke up and every day was happy it would feel like an episode of like Black Mirror or something like it would just be too creepy if every day was beautiful and amazing and nothing went wrong and every day like it would be robotic and annoying and boring. And I think the contrast of having lows and highs just makes you appreciate those highs so much more. Right. And then being in the present moment and not always trying to get to the next thing. Yeah. 
Love it. So tell everyone where they can find you. Yeah. So you can find me on Instagram. It's Tata Conquers. That's T-A-T-A-C-O-N-Q-U-E-R-S. And then you can also check out my podcast, Faith and Other F-Words. Awesome. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. So we'll have to have you back. It's just super fun talking to you. I hope everyone... I love to. Thank you so much for having me. I so, so appreciate it. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of the Rebel Babe Cave. If you enjoyed it, don't forget to subscribe and we'd love it if you left a review. See you next week.